Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We are so happy to see you here today. Welcome to the Tanya Joy Show. Thank you for joining us. For those of you that are listening, welcome to the podcast. For those of you that are tuning in on the Blessed News Network, we are so grateful to be part of that network. It's such a blessing. Thank you for joining us. You're going to love today's show. Today's guest lost nine years of her life because the enemy was trying to steal her destiny. Like we've talked about on this show before, when the enemy can get you to question your identity, he can steal your destiny. She is such a blessing. I can't wait to have her. I just feel like this is like the interview of all interviews. I feel like this is what I have been waiting for for two and a half years. If this is the only reason that I have done this show, then all glory be to God. I am just so thrilled to have her join me today. You may or may not have heard of her, but we are gonna talk about a very hot topic and you're not gonna wanna miss it. Her book is Transgendered to Transformed and uh, you're gonna just be thrilled. So I am excited to welcome her to the show. You don't wanna miss a moment of today. So make sure you hit share, hit like, and stick around. Today is Monday, December 18th. I'm Tanya Joy, and this is The Tanya Joy Show. Okay, well, we weren't shocked. Now, welcome back to the show. You as well. I'm so excited to have you both on the show. And I know we had such good uh, feedback and reception. General Flynn, what an jo- honor. Joshua, Joshua tracked me down in a big tent of about 4,000 people. How are you? I am feeling so great. Hello, everybody. Thank God I am wonderfully great. Hello. Thank you very much. Because what is prayer? I'm just Jewish. You know what I mean? And I'm thrilled to be here with the two of you. Like, and that's who these crazies, these evil ones. It is. You said it right. Good job. Our right. Gibson sisters. We are so excited to have them on with us on Resistance Chicks today. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's time to rise. These people that get higher up. How sometimes I've thought these are glory days and not gloomy days. Like I love that. Huh? <laughs> you know, you know, and it kind of works. Awesome about the tour is people like you. Good. I love the applause. That's cool. <laughs> there we go. Thank Hi, Joy. Everybody, welcome. We are so excited. Are you ready to get the show on the road? Let's go. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Today's guest is Laura Perry Smalls. She lived nine years of her life as a transgendered man. But God, Jesus showed up and her life has been transformed ever since. And I am so honored to have her in the studio. Let's bring her on in. Hi, Laura. How are you? I am good. It's good to be here. It's such an honor to have you here. Uh, Like I said, literally, I feel like my personal journey and a lot of my viewers know it because of all the craziness that has been going on. But I feel like this is like if this is the only reason I have done this show for this time, it's worth it um, because your story and your testimony brings so much hope to me. And I know that it's going to bring hope to millions and I know it already has. So welcome to the show. Let's get started by you sharing the backstory. Okay. Share with everybody how you got to where you were. I'll maybe have to look and see if I can get some pictures and superimpose some pictures so people can really see really what the enemy did and how he tried to steal your life. But 
take it away and share your backstory for us. Yeah, you know, I I grew up in um, what most people would consider a very normal uh, American Christian home. And we were one of those families. We were at church every time the door was open. We were involved in every little program. And I really, you know, I grew up hearing about Jesus and about God all the time. But somehow I never really understood the gospel. And I I think a lot of it was I really um, I had so much misunderstanding or maybe I just heard it too much. I really haven't determined how how I missed it hearing all the time. But I think that's so true for so many young people, we grow up hearing it, but it doesn't connect from the head to the heart and never had that personal relationship with Jesus. But I was told at a very young age that I was a Christian. And um, I remember just being confused by that. And I had a lot of difficulties with my mom. Now, I, I don't blame my mom at all anymore. I, In fact, my mom and I have shared our testimonies together several times. Um, but But when I was little, we had a very difficult relationship. And a lot of it, I didn't understand her brokenness and everything she was going through. She was extremely stressed out and burned out. She was so trying so hard to be the super Christian, to be the super mom, to be doing everything everybody thought she ought to be doing. And she said that she used to feel like she was on a performance treadmill for God, never good enough, never doing enough. And she was just exhausted and burned out. Now I was very hyper. I needed a lot of attention. I had a ton of health problems. And so a lot of times it was like, oh, go away, just get off of me, leave me alone, go to your room, you know. But I also, she was very close to my brother. Now, I learned later that she had miscarried two boys between my brother and I. And so I think part of that closeness with him was she was really longing for those two boys and grieving their death. And so, um, but I perceived that closeness with my brother and not being close with me as mom wished I had been a boy. So I started acting like my brother, started playing with his toys, started wearing his clothes. And I really spent all my time with my dad and my brother. And when I was a little bit... How, how old were you when that started? That was I can remember being about five and having those thoughts okay. and feelings. And I, I started spending all my time with my dad and my brother. And I really didn't have much relationship with, at all with my sister. Uh, so... And I was told I was just like my dad. I acted just like him. We had the same personality. We looked alike. And so I was really pushed toward my dad. And we spent about every waking moment together. And so I just... Are you really the oldest? Began... No, I'm the youngest. I was oh, the, baby. the baby. Oh, okay. yeah the Okay. But I really began to identify with my dad and my brother. And so then when I went to school and I was around girls, I, I didn't know how to act around girls. I, I didn't know how to play like they did. I didn't identify with them. And I didn't realize how much I really was wired like a girl. Now that I'm older, I can see that. But at the time, it felt so awkward and foreign. And so, you know, I I just began to, to believe this lie at a very young age that I didn't belong, that I wasn't like the other girls. I knew I was physically a girl, but I felt like I didn't belong with girls. And this is such a key point to understand because so many um, trans people one of the huge core issues is feeling like they don't belong in their sex um, because they're comparing themselves to others. And they're thinking, I should feel like I belong. A lot of it's based on mm. feelings. Or I um, or I don't act like them, or I don't have the same interests, whatever that might be. And then being jealous, wishing they were like uh, someone else of the opposite sex. So much of that comes from self-hatred and jealousy and envy of what others have. 
Um, and just like in my case, a lot of it is over identifying with the opposite sex parent and not identifying with your same sex parent. There, there's lots wow. of other causes, but that's a very common thing that I see. And um, so this happens, for example, in boys that are not close with their father, especially if that's a bad relationship or maybe non-existent or maybe abusive, whatever it might be. And so they kind of cut off that masculine identity. They really cling to mom. And unfortunately, what I see is, um, for, especially if a marriage is bad, and I know we're getting into a bit of the weeds here, but this is important to understand. No, please do. Please yeah. do that because I, I feel as, as a parent uh, and for people watching, I'll share this for those of you who've never heard my story. Uh, my oldest daughter is identifying as a transgender man right now, and she has had some of the surgeries and um, we don't have any communication. And so as a parent, um, it's very important to understand the roots. I mean, that's one of the things I'm constantly digging and praying and asking the Lord. And I know I'm not the only parent out there. I know there's a lot of parents, especially Christian parents. I mean, I same thing, our family, we've grown up in a Christian home. So please go as at some point as we get into this later, I have some very specific questions. I want to get in the, the weeds because I think it's important for people to truly get a grasp and understand what this is about. So anyway, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, that, that helps. And I think I, I think you're right. I think this is so important to understand. I do want to say, because I'll give a couple of other points on this. This is, I don't want any parent to come away from this blaming themselves. We have to remember we are all created for the Garden of Eden. We were created for a world that was perfect, where we um, had perfect bodies, we had perfect minds, we had perfect relationships. There was no curse of sin. There was no war. There was no disease. There was no divorce. There was no abuse. The reality is we're broken and we're sinful, and none of us could be the perfect parent. None of us could be the perfect child. Um, all our relationships are broken. And so the, the, the point is that we have to um, point others and even confessing our mistakes and our faults and saying, yes, I hurt you. And I can't be the perfect parent, but God can. And redirecting their heart back to the Lord. And I think for so long in the church, we've acted like we had it all together. And, um, you know, we're trying so hard to hold on to this perfect image. And our kids are not seeing that vulnerability that they need. And they feel I've heard from so many that they felt like they were the only one broken in the church, or at least that's how they treated them. And then they they know that there are other broken people in the church, but everybody's acting like they have this perfect image. And I see that even in families sometimes as the parent is acting like the child's the only one with problems. Um, so anyway, that, um, but one of the other things I see with boys, unfortunately, and this doesn't always happen. There are many different reasons. Um, there sometimes girls have been abused. Uh, that could be a common reason they want to become men because become taking on a male identity or even a lesbian identity sometimes and being kind of tough and protective that often comes from being wounded from being hurt uh, from not being protected but uh, i often see it with a boy where there's marriage trouble between um, the wife and husband um, a lot of times the boy will become angry with uh, dad because of the way he's treating mom or even if that's just perceived and then he will really cling to mom and unfortunately mothers love this especially when um, there's marriage trouble and the boy kind of becomes surrogate husband and in fact, now it, it, when they're little boys, of course, they, they need that, that affection and that, that coddling. But as they grow up, we're supposed to let go of these boys and to allow them to become men. Their dad is supposed to bring them into the world of men and say, come with me and come like out of that motherly coddling and help let me teach you to be a man. 
And unfortunately, that's not happening in so many homes. And I think I've heard so many countless stories where the mother at 21, 22, 23 years old is still clinging to boy and um, coddling him and acting like he's six or seven years old. And I think this is a huge problem. And so mothers really need to be aware of what they're doing to the boy and kind of keeping him stuck in this boyhood. Um, and so it, that's and- a fantastic. Yeah, that's such a good point because I, so my fan, our little family, I have girl, boy, girl, and we've been, I've been divorced from their dad yeah. since the baby was three. So my yeah. oldest daughter was about eight at the time. So it hit her the hardest. Yeah. She, and she was closest to dad. She, he was really most engaged when she was a new boy, a baby. He wasn't so much with the other two. So there's all these things you're saying, they line up so much. And I'm, I'm almost positive there has, there was some abuse of my oldest as well. So it's like all of these things. And I mean, yeah, as a parent, when this started for us, I just blamed myself and all I I just wanted to die, honestly, because Mm. I thought I can't go back and I can't redo it. And that's all I want to do. I want to go back and redo. The great thing is, and I want to say this for parents with the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we can go back and we can pray. I can't tell you how many times I go back and a memory will come up and I will pray into that and go, Lord, redeem that memory in my daughter. Redeem that moment that I didn't see, that I wasn't there, that caused damage and pain and trauma. Redeem it. Go back and start to redo. And God can do that. I mean, that's the beauty of of loving Jesus. <laughs> Amen. And that's where I was going with this. And that is so powerful. And that's why... I love telling my mom's story with mine and, and God orchestrated all this. When I first started telling my testimony, I really didn't understand my own story. I didn't understand any of the causalities. I was just simply telling what happened. And my mom, unfortunately, was very hurt in the beginning. And I didn't understand it because I'm like, well, we're okay now. And I, But now I see exactly what you're saying, that God can redeem all, all of us made mistakes. All of us wounded our children. Our children wounded us. That's reality in this broken world. We hurt our spouse. We hurt our children. But God can redeem all of this. He's the one that, you know, it says in Isaiah 61 that the the uh, Messiah was sent to bind up the brokenhearted and to to release them prisoners and um, and several other things. But it says that that point where he came to bind up the brokenhearted, he can use us. But ultimately, he's the one that heals the broken hearts. And uh, so. Anyway, when I was when I was a child and you can see there are lots of these things that play in together. And I, I was sexually abused at eight years old. I, I used to say that. Um, and in fact, I said this in my book. I need to update this at some point that I had never met anybody who wasn't sexually abused that had gone into transgenderism. Um, wow. And I, I assumed that it would be a huge percentage. Now we're actually seeing those percentages drop, at least according to what people are saying, whether they're telling the truth or not don't know. But I think what's happening is those people are, two things are happening. One, they're, um, they're exposed to pornography at such young ages. And I think pornography is having the same effect as if they were being physically abused. But also I think there is a lot of child on child sex play that they are not considering sexual abuse and they don't want to admit they've done these things. I did. I was abused by another boy. He was, I was eight and he was nine and I was, um, not, you know, I was so ashamed of this and I was filled with so much shame and guilt. 
And I didn't tell anybody until I finally told my mom when I was um, in my 30s and like right before I came out of the lifestyle. And she was so I, I had such a hard time telling her and I was kind of um, being a little vague. She didn't even realize that I had told her for like another two years until I started telling my testimony. And so I there's so much shame in that when especially as a young child. And so I think those two things are reasons that we're seeing a lot of people go into these lifestyles who haven't been sexually abused per se, but they have in other ways and they're not connecting those dots. Um, so, and especially because think about pornography these days, from what I've heard, I had a major porn, porn addiction in the past, but it's been quite a few years, but I've been told that the pornography these days is extremely violent and, right, it um, is. Yeah. and so I think a lot of these girls, especially are seeing this pornography and going, oh my gosh, if that's what it means to be a girl and to have sex with a man, like, I don't want any part of that. Yeah. And, um, that's and a good point. And I've, I've seen, because that was, I talk a lot about the impact of pornography. That was why my marriage fell apart was that their dad had an addiction to that. And, um, through my inner healing, cause I've had to go through that with that damage, um, that was one thing I learned was that if a little child walks into a room, this was astounding. If a toddler walks into a room and a parent is watching pornography and they don't even interact, but they see it and they see the parent, they, their little mind can Im imprint and actually think that that happened to them. Wow. I so know that. That was something I learned. This was a couple of years, well, quite a few years wow. ago. I, never, I learned that. And I was like, wow, because their minds as a little child can't process what they yeah. saw. And it's it's such a affront to their, their sweet little eyes that it can actually like imprint as if that happened to them. And then years later, and nobody would even think that that would be something that would impact them. So, wow. so you went through this. Explain the point at which you went, uh, like at your age and you went, that's it. I'm transitioning. And, and. Get into the details of like, how easy was that? And does the state pay for that? Did your insurance, pay, you know, because you've had surgeries go, if you don't mind, if it's not too uncomfortable, go into the details because as a parent, um, that's one, it's hard. It's sometimes you don't want to know, but par I believe that the church needs to understand the depth of what this is like. Yeah, I, I do want to, um, real quick, before I get into oh, that, I yes, do want to talk I don't about, no, no, it's okay. I, I do want to talk about um, what happened to me in high school. I think this is so important for parents to understand. And I think at, at, at the teenage years is such a crossroads. I see so many young people wrestling with what they were taught versus um, what they're choosing to believe. And I began to really, I was so angry with the Lord. I um, told God I would never serve him again. And it started with um, this being angry with God for creating me a girl that I didn't want to be in the first place and then giving me to a mother that in my mind, it wasn't true, but in my mind, a mother that didn't want a girl and wished I'd been a boy. And then, you know, I would pray and pray. And of course, God wasn't going to actually let me wake up a boy. I used to pray that God just let me wake up as a boy um, and trying to be, and especially as I began to get a little older, realizing there's more difference between boys and girls. Cause when I was a kid, I was just playing with the boys and I was just kind of one of the guys. But as you get older, that reality begins to fall apart. And um, then I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome and I was told I would never, I would likely never get pregnant. And so I was really angry with God. 
And the reason that's so important is because um, just to get, um, give some understanding. A couple of years ago, I um, I was sick one weekend and I literally watched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of testimonies on YouTube um, of how people came to know Jesus. And in that, God set up this thing that was so cool for me. He showed me and taught me how he works in people's lives. And one of the most profound things I learned is that in almost every case, what turned that person away from the Lord was some form of this question. Maybe not these exact words, but this idea, if God is good, why did he allow this in my life? And if you look at like the top atheists in the world, what they, the reason they don't want to believe in God is because they can't resolve this idea that a good God allows suffering. And they want a world yes. where no one suffers. And they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand Genesis. And they've probably heard about Jesus. But if we don't teach Genesis and what happened in the garden, um, they're, they're missing so much of the puzzle. And that's why this doesn't make sense. But um, we're in a world that's broken and cursed by sin. But because I didn't understand that either, I turned away from God. I said I'd never serve him again. I wanted to be the opposite of a Christian. And I was looking for love and affection in all the wrong places. And I really believed that um, if I could get a man to love me and give me value and validate me, then I would feel good about myself. And I would feel like a good enough girl. Um, but I found myself um, dumped a lot. And then um, I started giving myself away sexually anything they wanted, whenever, whatever, whoever. And um, I started giving myself away for free. And I didn't realize at the time, I used to blame all these guys because I just got dumped and rejected and abused and used just over and over and over and over again through countless relationships. And in fact, eventually in college, really became almost like a prostitute without getting paid for it because I was just on these adult hookup sites. And I didn't understand. I, I blamed them for so long, but I was sowing sin into these relationships and I was never going to get worth and value out of that. Mm -hmm. And so I, I didn't understand the damage I was doing to myself. I was the one assigning myself no value. And it was like, I was putting a, a, a free sticker, you know, the, like we had a garage sale recently and all the junk we didn't want, we put on the free table, please, somebody just take it. And that's, I was assigning that value. So I really want young people to, um, that hear this episode or see this episode to get this, that you have so much worth and value, but you have to treat yourself and your body like you believe you have that value that God has already given you. And if you give yourself away for free and you devalue that, you're going to get devalued in return. And um, so I think that's such an important point because it, it did so much damage to me emotionally, physically, um, and mentally. I mean, I just, I was a wreck. And, so and that, that was through your high school and college. So though that was kind of, if you will, the icing on the cake before you mm -hmm. went undone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. That that's ultimately what led into this because in college, after I had been through so many relationships, both with guys and girls, I experimented, experimented with girls a little bit, not to a huge degree. Um, but, uh, Oh, also one other thing I wanted to say about this, this is so critical to understand with all this we don't understand the um, the destruction that bitterness and unforgiveness does. The Bible talks about this so much. And in fact, a lot of times as little children, we build walls against our parents. And there's a proverb that just jumped out at me one day that says, he who builds a high gate invites destruction. And you think about like wow. in the, the old 
ancient days of war where they would um, um, build these huge walls around the city. But if the enemy lays siege outside, you're just starving. And I think that's what the enemy does to us. And we build these walls thinking we're protecting ourselves, but we're starving ourselves of the very thing we need. And then we begin to sow so much bitterness and we think about it and we just get angrier and angrier and angrier. And there's a, in Hebrews 12, 15 and 16, it says, looking diligently, lest any man fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator, which is anyone in sexual sin, um, or a profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Now, this is so critical to understand because so many uh, young people who get involved in sexual sin, the root of this is being bitter and angry toward God, bitter about their circumstances, bitter toward their parents, bitter toward people that hurt them in their past. And unless they um, come to know Jesus, first of all, I mean, he's the source of forgiveness, but unless they learn to forgive and learn to let go of that bitterness, it leads to more and more destruction. And ultimately, like the end of that verse says, that Esau threw away his birthright. We, I've seen so many kids throw away everything they know about the faith. These kids were, you know, pledged to be missionaries or ministers or on the worship team or whatever. And then all of a sudden, they don't want anything to do with Christianity. And it's because of bitterness and unforgiveness. And so that's what was beginning to happen to me. And when I was about 25, I was so angry at these men. I was so angry about everything that had happened. And I believed this lie that I was never going to be good enough to be a wife. Um, I just, I don't even know where that lie came from, but I just felt like I was not a good enough girl. And I thought, you know, the reason this never works out, the reason I'm never happy is because I was supposed to be the man. If I was the man, I knew how to treat a girl. I knew how I wanted to be treated. And so it was like, I, I didn't realize this consciously. But I was trying to find, um, or I was trying to become what I couldn't find in, in a man. Wow. That is, everything you have said is, um, it, it's so profound and yet so simple because it's the word. And, and that root of bitterness, I never have put that two and two together with all of this. And that is really, um, because I've walked it. That I see that with my daughter can a hundred percent can see that just amazing. Let we're going to take a quick break and then we'll keep talking about this when we come back. And I want you to share, you know, more. I'm going to have to have you back. <laughs> I'm going to have to have you back if that's okay. I just, this is so, um, I guess just because my heart is so for people that are struggling with this and for the families that are being attacked in this way, but right. And, um, so anyway, okay, hang tight. Don't go away, Laura. Everybody, hang tight. We're going to be back. We're going to take a quick two-minute break. Um, we love our, our sponsors. We love the affiliates that we work with. We're so grateful for them. And we're grateful for you, the viewers, the listeners. When you purchase, when you shop with one of our affiliates, it helps the show. Um, it, it, we get a small portion back, and we're just grateful. With the holidays around the corner, you can pick up your, yourself some slippers with my pillow. You can get some new bed sheets. They've got wonderful towels. Actually, they've been my favorite bed sheets of all is the MyPillow uh, Gaza, Gaza cotton sheets. So make sure you go check those out. Use our code B4A and you get a discount. Uh, with cold season, we've got great sponsors and affiliates with some doctors. We also work with Verve Spray Vitamins. They're incredible. They're these little sprays. You can squirt eight in your mouth, travel with them. They're FDA approved and they're um, or FAA approved. So you can fly with them. Um, so check those out. 
hang tight. We will be right back to continue this amazing conversation. Good morning, everybody. Coffee Talk with Esther here. I want to talk to you about something fantastic. These sprays. Oh my gosh, you have to check them out. They're called Verve Spray Vitamins. And if you wake up and you don't feel well, you take one of these guys and you do eight squirts and you will be back to normal in less than 24 hours. It's pretty crazy. They have one for skinny if you want to lose weight. It's vitamin B5. Again, five squirts. I'm going to show you how easy. You open it like this. How easy is that? They taste great. There's nothing bad in them. You guys have to check these out. And you can get a discount with our code B4A or Tanya Joy. They've got them in all sorts. They've got your daily vitamins. They've got the skinny. They even have a melatonin one that will help put you to sleep. Check them out now. You are going to love them. Government-induced inflation, taxes, rising interest rates, political instability. All of these can have a crushing effect on our investments, often causing the stock market to go down. But they can also cause gold and silver to go up. Hi, this is Dr. Kirk Elliott. Buy gold, buy silver, buy now, but buyer beware. Precious metals companies are not created equal. As a PhD economist, I have been in the financial, economic, and precious metals business for three decades. The philosophy of my firm is people over profit. I encourage you to read my bio to learn more about me at kirkelliotphd.com. Now is the time to own physical metals in an IRA, 401k, and outside of a retirement plan. Don't let the government destroy your hard-earned assets any longer. Call 720-605-3900 or visit KirkElliottPhD.com. Hey friends, you already know the answer to this, but we'll ask you anyway. If you stay away from your favorite junk food for a month and then go back to supersizing it, will your health improve? Well, that's the thing about change. To change, we have to be as consistent as possible. And when we go back to an old habit, it's not the end of the world. We just get back at the new habit. Before you know it, Real transformation is evident to you and others. That's why we offer a bunch of helpful bonuses when you subscribe to Kingdom Fuel. Kingdom Fuel is our complete nutritional meal shake. It's the simple start to a transformed life, and we'll auto-ship every month so you don't run out. You'll receive two free shaker cups, free access to our video courses, and a monthly call with us filled with practical inspiration. Just see the link below or on your screen and subscribe today.
All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're so glad you've hung out with us today. As always, remember, you can find out more about me and more about the show over at TanyaJoy.tv. And you can support us over there. You can uh, see things about what I'm doing. And we're working on that website. It's always a work in progress, but you can always check us out over there, as well as watch us every day on Rumble, Clout Hub um, at 414 every day. And that's for Esther 414. You can also see us on the Blessed News Network. All right, let's get Laura back in here. I don't care about my stuff. I want to talk with Laura because this is such an amazing conversation and just so wonderful. So when before we left off, we were just talking about that space that you got to, which really was, like you said, kind of a root of bitterness. And, um, and it just, that makes so much sense. And so that, so through your high school and then your college, so you, you kind of had gone through this, you were, sounds like really struggling back and forth about trying to figure out what's going on, dealing with abusive relationships then through dating and so then you were what around 25? No, I have a quick question before we keep going into that. Were you, um, did you still have a good relationship or maybe not good, but a relationship with your mom throughout all of that? I was very, very shallow and it was just built on a lot of lies. I still had so much anger and bitterness toward my parents. And um, I had kind of waffled back and forth over the years. There were so many times throughout this that, that I would, um, you know, repent and say I was going to live for Jesus. I still didn't understand the gospel, but uh, there were, I was always aware that I was going to go to hell. And in fact, in um, 2006, right before I I transitioned in 2007 was when I started. So the year before um, I, I was moving back from, um, from Texas and we got sideswiped by a semi in the pouring rain. It sent us spinning all over the highway into oncoming traffic and another semi headed right for us. And I was so terrified. I honestly, at that moment, I knew I was going to hell. And I remember, um, I think the Lord peeled back the curtain just a tiny bit to give me a glimpse. Not that I saw anything, but I could feel, I could literally feel the demons and the evil. It was like they were coming for me. And I there, I can't even begin to describe the fear that I felt and the terror. It's not even like, I don't even think that kind of terror is is earthly. It was to the point I think if I'd had to endure that more than the few seconds that it was, I I would have gone insane because I don't think the human mind could even um, handle that that level of fear. I can't even describe it. No, nothing that I've ever experienced is compared to that. And so I knew that I was headed for hell. And so there were various times that I would kind of um, repent, but it wouldn't last very long because nothing was changing on the inside. And so I would I would sort of relieve that guilt for a little while and then I would go right back to where I was because I didn't want God. I just didn't want to go to hell. And um, so I think that uh, there were points that we were maybe a little closer, but I was lying to them all the time. I wasn't where I said I was going to be. You know, I was just doing all kinds of things behind their back. So it wasn't a good relationship by any means. But when I when I came out to them at 25 and I decided I went to a support group. And because uh, a lot of people don't realize that I had not even heard the word transgender back then. This was such a taboo thing. And like I it was not in our mainstream culture. This was 2007. But I went to the yeah. support group and within five minutes, they said, oh, you are definitely transgender. It's like I knew it. I knew this was me. You know, they barely knew a few lines of my story. And oh, wow, that's definitely true. And um, I was worried I would never look like a man. And they said, oh, don't worry about it. After a year or so of taking hormones, no one will ever know that you were a girl. And so 
that was really key for me. I didn't want to be openly transgender. I didn't want to be gender non-conforming or non-binary. I wanted to be a man and eradicate the existence of Laura. I wanted to completely reinvent, reinvent myself and live this new life as a man. And so my parents kept trying to keep the door open, but I didn't want the door open. And I, there were so many times that I would cut them off for long periods of time. And I would blame them and make excuses. And I would say, well, because you're not going to call me Jake and you're not going to use the male pronouns and all this, I would make those excuses. But the, the truth is, I knew they loved me. The reality was I was trying so desperately to forget who I was. And every time I was around them, I was reminded that I was their daughter, even if they didn't say anything. I was reminded that I was my brother's sister. And I was reminded, you know, all those things. You can't forget your place in, in the family. And you can't forget all those memories, but I was always trying to suppress that. And so that really became a, a mental torture for me. But also, I think a lot of parents don't realize when you are filled with the Holy Spirit and your child is filled with demonic spirits, um, those two don't really get along. And the demonic spirits do not want to be around the Holy Spirit. And so I think a lot of times, even if you're not preaching at them, you're pouring out all this love and you're like, why don't they get it? First of all, they can't love you in the same way if they are not filled with the source of love. Jesus is the only source of love. And if they've rejected him, they don't have true love. They have this narcissistic self-love that manipulates people in order to be loved back. But that's wow. not true love. And so they can't love you in the same way. They're, they're really incapable of that. And so I think that um, that was one. Of, so my parents thought they were just failing and they're not doing anything right. The reality was they were doing a lot right. But they just didn't see for years what they were doing or what um, what God was doing behind the scenes. And so we would meet every once in a while. We had this very shallow relationship. Um, the only reason I was involved with him at all is because my partner kind of pushed me to be. He had lost his parents very early in life. Um, his mom, when he was about seven, his dad died when he was like 19. So he pushed me to go do stuff with my parents and be involved with so um, as you began to transgender to to become a transgender man, you still had a man, yeah, in your life. I, well, he was. I call him he now. We he we were both trans uh, transgender. So he was a male living as a female, and I was um, a female living as a male. Wow. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like my daughter, and I. Yeah. It's really hard to like. That's something that I'm like what? Like that's, it's a really hard, it's so, it's the devil. It's such it a deception that it's, it's for, for a parent, for a, a person who hasn't walked that it's very hard to comprehend that, that aspect of it. The beauty wow. of that, that's actually kind of a blessing because what happened um, is that he was such a mirror to me. I could see the truth in him. I could not see in myself. And I had never understood what it meant to be a woman or a man. I mean, I, I knew physically but I didn't understand how God had designed men and women. And so it gave me living with a man for eight years that I called my quote wife, but it gave me a, an upfront and kind of in-depth look into how a man is wired. Cause no matter how hard he tried, he was still a man dressing as a woman. And I was so aware of that, but it also helped me see that there, there were these differences that I couldn't quite understand. And I began to think, I remember realizing one day that I was really more like the woman and he was more like the man. And I didn't want to admit that, but it was true. And I couldn't escape that. Even though we were trying to live these opposite sex roles, we're dressing oppositely, you know, and all these things. Um, but the, the, that truth really couldn't, uh, I couldn't get a, away from that truth. And so God kind of used that, but all along this process, 
God was intervening in so many ways and God was like reaching down from heaven. He was answering my my parents' prayers so much. And it's so funny because they would take me to dinner or something and they would um, talk about what God was doing in their lives and stuff. And my eyes would kind of glaze over and yeah, whatever. And um, but I would go home and I think, man, what if they're right? And so God was really? doing. So, yeah. And so like we we often we look at um, the immediate reaction of someone, even when we share the gospel and we're like, oh, man, I totally failed. But Jesus said that a seed takes time to grow. And in fact, he said, if a seed springs and grows up immediately, it withers because it has no root. And I think so often people think about things far more than we realize they do. And those seeds get planted and then they begin to bear fruit later. And so, and in fact, I my parents were talking a lot. They got really into like prophecy and end times kind of stuff uh -huh. and studying Revelation. And so my dad um, was talking about this and I would, whatever, dad, I, I don't care, you know. And then I would go home and not only think about it, but then I started having dreams and I'd read the left behind series. So I had a dream about Jesus You're coming kidding. back and I got left behind. No, like God was chasing me down this whole time. My parents didn't know for six years. I, I lived as trans for almost nine, but about, well, six and a half, almost seven years um, until I got saved. But this whole time, God is pursuing me. I had this one encounter where... Um, Dad, my dad had been praying about my music because I was listening to all kinds of like hard rock music. And I realized out of the blue one day that this music makes me really angry. And I was like, why am I listening to this? I'm sick of being so angry. And so I turned off the, and it was a CD. So I just turned off the CD player. The radio came on and the Christian music came on in the car, which I don't even know how that happened. But all of a sudden I started weeping uncontrollably as this like hardened, you know, girl that's living as a man and I'm tough as nails. And I just start bawling uncontrollably and the presence of god filled my car like i had never experienced before and i remember feeling like god was right there with me and this is like six years before i got saved but i had so many other encounters where god would let me know that he was not finished with me yet and i could feel him and, and know that he was pursuing me and he was answering my parents prayers and so they wouldn't know it for a long time i ended up listening to um my, my partner was really into um, politics. So I got into conservative talk radio of all things, started listening to um, these conservatives. Crazy. Right. Which were just, I mean, because I, for the first time in my life, I really began to think about what I believed and not just because I don't want to believe what my parents believe, but yeah. he was like one of only a couple I've ever met that were conservative. And he was literally this radical Republican. And so I started listening to some of this talk radio to understand what he was talking about. And every once in a while, they would just talk about God. It, and it wasn't like these weren't necessarily Christian shows, but they were because they were political, but they would talk about God once in a while. And God used that. And there were many other things along the way. But I can see how God was just drawing me and pursuing me. And um, but I remember one of the most profound things as um, I was at a new job where. Um, well, and I'll, I'll tell you real quick, you, you asked about the surgeries. So in two, I, sorry, I, I get so used to telling this. I love talking more about what God did than what I did. Like, Which is good. I, I, I think that's wise. I think that's, you know what, because yeah, we need to give him the glory. I just think mm -hmm. we don't have to stick to it, but just to right. touch on it, because the more that, well, I'll just say it this way, as a parent going through this in church, trying to, there's other families who are going through similar Nobody will talk about it. 
Nobody right. understands the depth of, of what that's like. Nobody understands. And I, I don't know because I don't have firsthand connection with my daughter, but I've seen right. images and I know her body. I mean, I'm her mom. And so I know she's had her breasts removed. I can mm -hmm. see it. And um, I know mm -hmm. she's on testosterone because she's talked about it. So I know those pieces. I've heard her voice and they, and it's, and you know, she's, it's really hard. I mean, she doesn't sound like my little girl, right. um, but, but parents, other families, they don't understand that aspect. So I don't want to focus on it, but I just, I yeah. want to, at least from someone who's been there, be able to say the truth of what this is doing to people. Yeah. No, I, I'm, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm so glad to talk about this. I just kind of forget because I, I love talking about what the Lord that. is, but I, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm totally willing to talk about it. Um, and I'm so sorry for what you're going through and any parent out there. I am like now that I'm on the other side of this and especially now, um, that, um, I'm kind of experiencing what it's like to be parent a little bit. This is so much harder than I thought. And honestly, like I am so, I can't tell you the number of days and the times that I have spent repenting over and over and over to my parents. It's like, I have a totally different perspective now than I did. And, um, but a child can't understand that they don't have the life experience and they don't, they, they haven't quite understood why they're broken. And this goes back to not understanding the, what the curse of sin really did. And I think that's one thing that God gives grace to the humble. And so when we finally get to that point, I think so often we want them to hear about um, this loving Jesus, but we have to hear both about the goodness of God, which leads to repentance. I remember what I said earlier about how um, not believing the goodness of God turns people away from God. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. But it's not just, I think sometimes people want us to believe in this, this God that is sort of uh, like a cosmic Santa that just makes everybody feel good about themselves and mm -hmm. just showers gifts on them and gives them everything they want. That's not God. The goodness right. of God is his holiness, his trustworthiness, his faithfulness, his justice, and all these, these attributes of God and his faithfulness throughout all the generations. But, and seeing how he was faithful to Israel is such a testimony. Anyway, that's all. Um, that's part of what brought me to God ultimately, but, um, but also seeing the reality of your own sin and the depths of your sin in light of God's mm -hmm. holiness, in light of what God has done for you. That's what ultimately leads to repentance. And, um, so anyway, I know I got off Amen. track, but, um, so I was in this place though, of, I was really aware in the beginning, as I started taking the testosterone and my voice began to get lower and begin to grow a little bit of facial hair and begin to like even the facial shape begin to change a little bit. Uh, it just changes the body a little bit. And I was really aware that everything I was doing was really fake. I was wearing chest binders and all these other things and um, prosthetic genitalia, you know, and it's like I but I was aware that everything was really fake. But I kept thinking, well, one day this is going to be real. And every little every testosterone shot <clears throat> made it feel a little more real. And my body's changing a little more. And so it was like, I began to believe this illusion that this was going to be real one day. But over time, um, at each step, it was like, well, that still didn't make it real. At, at what point does this become real? And so I finally, in 2009, went to have, I'd already had my name legally changed, but I went and had um, an outpatient double mastectomy and had my breasts removed. And I was on cloud nine. And for I thought this was the greatest thing ever. I was so excited. I couldn't believe I was 
rid of this burden that I hated so much about myself. And I remember um, a few weeks later getting very depressed because I realized that this surgery hadn't made me a man. I was like, wait a minute, this, this surgery made me legally male. I was able to get my birth certificate changed. I was able to get my license changed. And um, I, I had no one really in my life except my parents that, um, that knew I was even trans except my partner. So my partner and my family, basically. But everyone else in my world just knew me as this man. And I, but it was still not real inside. And I thought, what is wrong with me that this still isn't real? Like, what point does this become real? So a couple of years later, I thought, you know, it's because I still have all these female hormones. Once I get rid of the female hormones, um, then it will be real because it's kind of competing with it. So I had a hysterectomy and I had the ovaries removed. And when that still didn't fix it, I began to get really, really depressed. And I thought, well, I've got to get this genital reassignment surgery. And I was horrified when I started looking at the genital reassignment surgeries and realizing not only was it completely artificial that this would never be real, but also that there are serious complications that there are all kinds of risks. And this was just, I, it was the most horrific, grotesque thing. And I thought- So you, I don't mean to interrupt. So yeah, you no. saw that when you got to that point, you saw and knew the risks that were going to come if you had that full yeah. gender reassignment. Wow. Yeah. And in fact, at the time, it said that 40 to 60% would lose all sexual feeling permanently. Right. And I was devastated. But I was so ingrained in this. I wanted this so bad, knowing all of that, I was desperate to have this. And I would have done it if I could have afforded it. Praise God, insurance didn't cover it. And I actually missed insurance covering it three times because of job changes. Well, the last time, actually, um, uh, the whatever it was, like Obamacare or whatever, started covering it shortly after I uh, left the lifestyle. Or actually, it was actually before I left the lifestyle, but I'd already, God was already working on me and I knew he was asking me to detransition. But anyway, so three times that I pro that I just missed insurance covering it. And um, I'm so grateful and so thankful to the Lord that I never did. But even in that, I have known, I have known men um, who um, have had genital reassignment surgery and they have come to Christ and they're just living the best that they can as a male, identifying the way that God uh, made them. And they basically become eunuchs. So even if a, wow. somebody has got to that point, that doesn't mean your life is over. That doesn't mean you can't detransition. I was convinced that I could never detransition just to the point that I had gotten to. But, um, but I, I was so, after that hysterectomy, and I realized this was still not real, I began to be so broken. And I, I was really aware that this wasn't real um, and it wasn't satisfying. And I remember thinking, I finally have this identity that I want. I have a job where I'm only known as male. No, and I thought if I could get to the point where no one knows the truth, then it would become real for me. But when I realized that the, the truth was on the inside that I couldn't escape and I couldn't convince myself that this was real and I couldn't get away from the memories and I had to reinvent my life all the time. So when I would talk to people, if I shared anything about my former life, it was, I, you know, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I couldn't have been in Girl Scouts. I had to have been in Boy Scouts. I couldn't have played softball. I had to be in baseball. And I had to reinvent and wow. lie about everything. And it began to haunt me. And I remember thinking at one point, like, I'm, I'm still just going to work and paying bills. Like, I'm no happier. I'm not any more fulfilled. I was for a while because it helped me escape the pain. But it's like taking painkillers. 
you know, painkillers, the more you take them, the less they work. And mm. um, so eventually you kind of build up this tolerance. Well, it's the same thing with this. Eventually it doesn't work at all. And I was left in this state of knowing that I had um, put so much in, like, it's like I put all my eggs in this basket and then it, it came up so empty. And I, I still didn't want God at that point, but I was really restless. And I remember just pacing around my apartment and thinking, what is the point of life? And there's got to be more to life than this. And I remember thinking it's not Christianity because I grew up in that and um, that didn't have the answers. I was not any happier then. And I looked back and I never saw that happiness in my mom and dad, especially in my, I did in my dad to um, some degree, but especially in my mom, but I didn't understand her brokenness. I didn't understand how stressed out she was, how burned out she was, how hard she was trying to please God. She wanted so bad to be a good Christian. And to be a good mom and to be a good wife. But the beauty of this, just like you said earlier, is that God used my mom's redemption to ultimately bring me to Christ. So when I came out as transgender, what I didn't see, they didn't see what was going on with me behind the scenes, but I didn't see so much of what was going on with them behind the scenes. And so, and in fact, if your child, I want to encourage the parents whose child is not doesn't have much to do with them right now. The relationship may be very shallow or non-existent. This is a beautiful gift from God. One, because if you're looking at the problem every day and you're looking at all this grief and sorrow, you are going to be, in the, it's so hard to get out of that place. Them being gone is actually a very, um, it's kind of a blessing, but not only for that, but also because when I came out as trans, it really broke my mom and she went home and she threw herself on the floor and she said, God, I'm so tired of trying uh, so hard. I can't do this. I can't fix this. And she heard the Lord say, finally, I've been waiting for you to admit you can't fix this. Because my mom had tried to fix all of us for so long, try to hold the family together, try to fix everybody, try to make us the perfect Christian family. And it all sort of crumbled in her hands. But in that moment, my mom was really transformed as she began to realize that she needed the Lord to work in her. And, um, she, she always refers people to two books that really changed her life. Of course, the Bible. She was studying the word hours and hours and hours a day. But two additional books that really helped her were by Andrew Murray, one of the older writers, um, but um, one called Humility. And, um, oh gosh, I, the other names escaped me, but it was two of his books. But I know Humility was a big one. And um, she talks about how the Lord really, she said, did a roto-rooter job on her and began to really clean out the sin in her own heart. And as he began to transform her, uh, every once in a while, I would just get this little glimpse as we'd go out to dinner. Once in a while, it was very shallow, but I would just notice that my mom was a little, um, she wasn't as angry. She didn't seem as stressed out. But then when the Lord really opened my eyes, I started working um, on a website for her Bible study that she started teaching. I didn't have any interest in the Bible study, but I was just, she was going to pay me for it. I needed the experience. And so as I started working on that, she had no clue that God was going to use this. This wasn't some ulterior motive. She honestly, she, she'd given up trying to fix me and was really letting God, but she just needed the website. But I, I thought um, that I would summarize the lessons um, just aesthetically on the website. I remember this kind of blank space and going, I need something here. I'll just summarize the lesson. And I started reading and I was just skimming. I really wasn't like trying to absorb the lesson. I was just looking for like some quotes, something I could put there. And then, but things started jumping out at me and God began to speak to me. I didn't realize the power of the word of God because I'd grown up in a Christian home. I'd heard it all my life. 
But Jesus said, no one comes to the Father, or no one comes to me unless the Father first draws them. And so all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's been drawing me for years. He's beginning to illuminate the word. And Psalm 107.20, which is one of my life verses, says he sent his word to heal them and to deliver them from their destructions. And so the word of God began to just jump out at me. I started calling my mom every day and asking her questions about what she was reading. And over that six months that I called and talked to my mom on the phone as I would drive home from work, talking to her about what she was learning in the word, um, I be God began to open my eyes to what he was doing in her and the transformation was undeniable. And I remember one day I had this um, kind of major life decision to make. I don't remember what it was exactly. But um, I, mom had always told me what was logical. You know, like, these are, here are the steps. You need to do this. You need to do this. And her response in that moment was, well, honey, you just need to trust the Lord. And I was like, what? Like, who are you? And what have you done with my mother? Because that mm -hmm. was, I never, growing up, I never heard about a lot about faith. I heard a lot about what we do for God, but I remember um, that even as a child, it was like we were always praying, trying to twist God's arm to do what we wanted to do. God, please do our will. Um, but my mom, all of a sudden, she's talking about trusting God that he has a plan for me. Um, and she was filled with so much faith, so much peace. My mom was so transformed. And it's at that moment I knew the gospel was true. And it's like I knew that Christ was alive because I could see there was no denying what he was doing in my mom. And so that's the beauty, just like you talked about earlier, that no matter what mistakes you made, God promised in Romans 8, 28, that all things, he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All of our mistakes, all of our failures, and the reality is we're all sinners. All of us are yeah. making mistakes. All of, every day I sin. and But God redeems those things because God is if he left it all to us, I mean, we wouldn't have made it out of We'd be in big trouble. <laughs> right. Adam and Eve would have never had any more children. I mean, because we desperately need God. Um, the we For so long, this has been a burden of mine now recently that God's put on my heart. For so long, the church has acted like we have it all together. We don't need anything. And like the, he says to the church of Laodicea in his rebuke, and he says, you think that you're, you're rich and you have need of nothing, but you don't know that you are poor, miserable, blind, and naked. And wow. it's like, we, we have acted in the church and I love the church. I'm not, I hate when people put down the church. I love the bride of Christ. I'm not putting yeah. down the church, but I want so desperately for the church to get back to the point where we are real and we're vulnerable and we're honest about what we're going through because people are dying and suffering and not, they're thinking that the church doesn't have any hope. I can never be as good as those people. I can't reach the bar they've set for me. But if yeah. we will be honest about what we're struggling with and how good God is in the midst of those struggles, that's a powerful testimony. And so I, um, that, that seeing what was done in my mom, now that was not the only thing. If you're thinking my child has nothing to do with me, they're never going to see this. We don't know what's down the road. The prodigal son that Jesus talked about yes. was in a far country, but eventually came home. But even if that never happens, in those testimonies that I talked about earlier that I watched on YouTube, out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, most of the time, the parent was not directly involved in bringing that child to Christ. God has millions of other resources. He can bring anyone. <laughs> I've heard of people moving across the world and then being a huge influence in somebody else's life and bringing them to Christ. You know, Amen. so um, God has endless resources. Pray that God will bring them to the other Christians into their life. Pray that yeah. God will speak to them in their dreams. Pray that God will um, speak to them over the radio. I mean, there's so many ways 
that God can reach them. But if we try to get in the way, God is not going to share his glory with any man. We need to just pursue the Lord and be humble enough to say, Lord, how do you need to change me? Let God change us. And um, so I, but I, I gave my life to Christ and I got radically saved. That was the first time in my life I was truly repentant of sin. And I began to realize the depths of my own sin. And I began to pour out my heart to God and I just got radically saved. And I, but I wanted to be a man of God. <laughs> and I did not realize that this was not okay. Cause I thought, well, God saved me as a transgender. So God's okay with me being trans. I didn't realize wow. I didn't have to clean myself up to come to God, but he wasn't going to leave me there. And so as he began to, I love that. I, it was so amazing because I was so on fire for Jesus and I was such a mess and I was a heavy, heavy smoker at the time. And I was living as a man and I would go out as a transgender man um, out to the smoke holes and tell people about Jesus. <laughs> God just wow. used you know, and that's where I was at the time. But he began to convict me of my sin. And he began to convict me of this life I was uh, living. And um, so God began to draw me. And over that next year and a half, he began to pour his word in me. I was literally listening to either the audio Bible or some kind of Christian radio or Bible teaching all day, every day. I mean, I was wow. just, God was pouring his word into me. And I, I began to get more and more and more convicted. And I finally, I threw myself on the floor one night and I said, God, I want everything you have for me. I don't want to miss anything. I, I knew that God had called me at 13 years old to be a missionary at summer camp one day, even though I don't think I was saved. I didn't know the Lord back then, but I remember knowing I was called to be a missionary. And I said, God, I want everything you have for me. I don't want to miss this. What do you want from me? And God asked me a question. He said, if you stood before me tonight, what name would I call? And I was kind of devastated by that because I'd heard the Lord calling me Laura in my prayers. I was trying to ignore that. I was trying to pretend like God was okay with me being Jake. And I was like, God, that's not fair. I've repented of this. I said, I was sorry, but I can't go back now. I can't change this. And he reminded me in John chapter one, where it says, Jesus Christ himself is the creator. And he said, you cannot claim to love me and yet reject my creation. And I thought I was being condemned. I thought God was saying, I, I don't accept you. I didn't understand what God was saying. But in the most loving voice I've ever heard in all my life, he whispered to me and he said, let me tell you who you are. And that's really what began to free me. Not at that exact moment. I mean, I didn't jump up and go, oh, yes, God, I want to be a woman. There was so much pain there. Every time I thought about it, I, it was like a knife going through my soul. I mean, I just couldn't, I couldn't even conceive of being a girl again. And I remember one night he hit me so hard with conviction where this, uh, I was watching this kind of end times preacher and he was talking about the verse out of Revelation where um, the, uh, about the whore of Babylon. And he says, come out of her, my people unless you um, partake of her sins, unless you share in her plagues. And it goes on from there. And I remember feeling hit, being hit so hard with conviction. I literally fell out of bed. I felt like I'd been hit in the chest with a sledgehammer. And I just poured my heart out to God, almost screaming. And like, God, please save me. I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to fix this. I don't want to be a woman. I don't know how to be a woman. But I knew that I could not continue to live in that. And God was like, come out of her. You know, come out of um, this... Um, come out of Babylon, come out of this sinful lifestyle because we're all supposed to, no matter what we're dealing with, all of us are commanded to die to ourselves. This culture is telling us to embrace our true self, you know, they say, but the reality yeah. is we're supposed to deny ourselves. 
And yeah. that's ultimately, I found myself in this deep dark pit that I couldn't get out of. I wrestled with the Lord for like two months and I, I couldn't find a way out. And I remember seeing the light at the top, but there was no way out of this horrible pit that I'm in. And um, I remember the Lord reminding me of this verse in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. Because if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? Or what shall I give in exchange for his soul? And I knew the Lord was asking me to leave it all, to walk away, leave it all behind. Like the, the fisherman he called, they'll just drop your net and walk away. Matthew at the tax collecting booth left his tax collecting booth and walked away. And we don't preach this in the church anymore. We like this easy believism where if we can just get people into the church and make them comfortable and want to be here, somehow they're going to get saved. We yep. have, God strips us of everything that we're holding on to. And in fact, Jesus told the rich young ruler, one thing you lack, because he said, I've been keeping all these commandments, which obviously he hadn't. Um, no one has, but, um, but he said, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Often God will come after that one thing you're holding on to, that one thing you think you can't give up. But in that, in I and I had this vision of Jesus Christ getting down on one knee. He reached his hand down into the pit and he said, do you trust me? And he had, over that year and a half, he had built my faith through so many things. And I don't have time to detail all those stories, but there were so many things that God did to build my faith over that year and a half. I knew I could trust him because I felt like I was dying. I had no hope of transformation. I didn't understand the power of God yet. I had seen him change my heart in that way um, from those sinful desires, but I had, I had no concept that God could change my sexual desires and my desire to be a man because every time I thought about being a woman, it was more pain than I could bear. But I knew he was asking me to walk away. And the first time I went and tried on female clothes, I cried hysterically and I looked at myself in the mirror and at what I'd done. And I said, God, I can't do this, but I knew what God was asking. And so I, I obeyed God by the grace of God. I look back. I don't know how I did it other than I feel like Jesus just carried me. In fact, I use a, sometimes when I use a PowerPoint, I use this picture of Jesus carrying the lamb over his shoulders. Cause I, I can't explain how I kept thinking, how do I have the strength to be putting one foot in front of the other? Like I was going to sell my, I, my men's watch at a pawn shop one day. I was getting rid of all my men's stuff. And I remember thinking, I don't know how I'm putting one foot in front of the other. Why am I, why do I have the strength to pack all this up? I don't want this, but I knew that I had to do it because I had the hope of eternity that one day this would all be okay. Because Jesus has promised us in the word that we are going to have a new body that for all of eternity, that we will no longer have a sin nature, there will be no pain, no suffering, no grief, no sorrow. So I had that hope, but I didn't understand the hope he could give me now in this life. In fact, I love this, this verse. Um, I can't remember where it is exactly, but it says, um, I tell you the truth that no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or uh, lands or uh, wives, or, I forgot it all, children, something like that, for mm -hmm. my sake, um, and the gospel shall um, not only, I'm paraphrasing just a bit, but shall not only um, receive those things a hundredfold in this life. Um, but so basically it's a, sorry, I'm, I'm paraphrasing just a bit, but basically it says that we will receive back so much more oh, than we yeah. lost 
And I found that true. And in the world to come, eternal life and so much more in eternity. But even in this life, he promises to give back more than we've lost. Now, I didn't get back the exact same things. I didn't get back that male identity. I didn't get back my partner. But I ended up getting so much more back as God has given me things I never even knew were possible. And so when I came home in this very broken state and God just began to peel away the layers, I didn't know how to fix myself. I didn't do any of that. Like sometimes people want me to share my story without Jesus. I have no story without Jesus. This is his story. And so like I, um, you know, as I began to forgive my mom, as I began to forgive those that had hurt me, as I began to see my own sin and be repentant, as I let go of all the bitterness, as I began, as God began to work on the inside, that those desires just begin to fade away. And I began to embrace who God had created me to be. And over time, I began to love being a girl. And I began to like, just really embrace that femininity. And then I began to love God's design of male and female. And I began to have this heart um, to teach others about God's design of male and female. And I had this vision of traveling around um, with a husband and teaching these things. And of course, I didn't have uh, a husband in my life at the time. I didn't even have a prospect. And I'm thinking, God, what man is ever, what Christian man, especially is ever going to love me. And with my past and the way I like, you know, I didn't have breasts and it's a, um, I couldn't have children and all these things, but um, God did have a man, as you can see in the picture. Yes. Back there, my, God had this incredible man for me that I didn't know yet. Um, he brought into my life. His name is Perry. And which is funny because my maiden name was Perry. So we've gotten lots of jokes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> but uh, he's I an amazing him. man. And what I love, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, what I love too was that I really, I had such low expectations for God. I really thought God was going to bring me this man that I was just going to have to learn to love. And I honestly thought God was going to bring a man that had struggled with all these things and he'd be very effeminate. And and God can redeem both of those. But honestly, what I um, what I love is that God brought me this really masculine man. In fact, that's one of the first things my boss noticed when um, I had to meet with my boss early on because he was kind of my spiritual mentor and I wanted him to kind of check out this guy because I thought he was too good to be true. I'm like, there are some serious red flags here that I'm just not seeing because this guy yes. is too good to be true. And uh, he's a music minister. I mean, he just loves the Lord and he wanted to be in, he's been in ministry basically his whole adult life. Um, so I was just so um, amazed by this man. But anyway, so um, God still was giving us that vision. Now, I've worked um, for the past several years for an organization called First Stone Ministries. Um, But my husband and I are actually, um, in the next few weeks, we are setting up our own nonprofit organization. And the vision that God gave me years ago is really coming to fruition. We are um, really feel called by the Lord to travel and speak and to share not only the story, but really to teach some of these things I've talked about today, to teach about God's design of male and female and several other topics related to that, and really equipping the church and equipping students um, to talk about these issues and really to proactively teach the goodness of God's design of male and female before kids walk down this road and be deceived. And so that is our hope and our prayer. We're calling it Eden's Redemption because we're talking about how we are created for the Garden of Eden, but this world, even though it's broken and cursed by sin, and I think so often people... We, we know that our soul is going to be saved or has been saved by Jesus, but we don't understand that all of creation is going to be redeemed for those that are a part of that. Now, there are those, if they reject Christ, are not going to be part of the new creation. 
and they mm-hmm. will die eternally in hell. But for all of those who receive Jesus and who have eternal life, we will be like the Garden of Eden again. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And all these things we're longing for, all these things that are so bro- broken, all the, the shame in our bodies and the brokenness of our bodies and the brokenness in our relationships and the brokenness of this world, all of that is going to be healed and redeemed. And so that's why our, our message is that yet the reason that you don't like your body, the reason that you feel weird and awkward, the reason for all this shame. I mean, think about the, somebody pointed, I can't remember who it was. Somebody pointed out to me recently that when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that happened was that they felt shame about their body and they realized they were naked. And I think so much of what we're dealing with is hating our bodies and feeling Mm -hmm. that disconnect there. There's a reality. There's truth to what they're saying. Now that doesn't mean they're trans, but the reason they feel disconnected from their body is because they're not in the body that God ultimately intended them to be in. It is the body he created, but it's broken under the curse of sin. Yeah. And so that's why we wow. will know one day we will know that harmony and no longer feel that disconnect. This is oh, your your story is so encouraging. And um I don't even there's just no words to say. It's just it's so exciting. It's so such a story of redemption. Such I mean, it is literally the example of transformation. I hate that we have have to run out of time. I hate that. I'm like, I could sit and talk to you for all day. This is just, you have so much in you to give out. And um, I guess I'll end and then I'll let you give some final thoughts and where we can find you. Um, But I know when I was praying for my daughter, um, the Lord showed me, and this was weird to hear, but he said, she's going to be, she had a dream when she was little, she wanted to go to China. And and she used to ask me if I would take her to China to do missions. She was very young. And, um, and so I know God has something someday. And he said, she has to build her testimony, right? That's what she's doing. And he said, so this is part of the journey. And, um, so anyway, it's just so beautiful. So where can everybody reach out and find you? And then we're going to wrap this up. And then I would love to have you back again sometime and and talk more. You just, you have such a wealth of knowledge of the truth of what we need to be teaching right now. Yeah. Um, please check us out at my, my current website is transgender to transformed.com. Uh, same as the book title. You can get the book there. Um, but my husband and I, we're currently in the process of setting up this new ministry that I just talked about. Um, I'm hoping to have the website up by the time this airs. Um, if, if not, um, please check back. You can email me at laura at edensredemption.org. Um, so that website will be edensredemption.org. So hopefully that will be up. If not, email me, reach out. You can also contact me at my website, transgendertotransform.com. I will keep that up and running as well. Um, so please, and if anybody out there would like us to come speak, uh, this is what, um, we're doing pretty much full-time in our ministry. Um, we really want to speak to churches and to students. Um, so please, uh, let us know. Well, I'm going to send this to my pastor because, um, I keep saying we've got, there has to be room. We've got to minister to the families that are walking through this and the families that aren't walking through it yet. There's so many families with young kids. And I believe like what you're pointing out, we have to teach the reality of the goodness of God and the original, we've got to go back to the original sin yeah. so that we know how to fight 
How can we fight the devil if we don't know what we're even fighting against? Wow. Laura, you are such a blessing. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hang tight. I'm just going to wrap this up. You guys, thank you so much for joining us. Please share this show, share it with your church, share it with your small groups. This is a, such an important message always, but especially in the days that we're living in. And as you know, uh, we've been ending the show with a scripture. And so the scripture that I had picked for today is uh, very fitting, Jeremiah 1.5. And it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were set, before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So thanks again so much for watching. Again, you can find out more about me and the show over at tanyajoy.tv. And always make sure you catch our daily show, The Tanya Joy Show, which is also known on Blessed News Network as Beauty for Ashes. That was our original name. Thank you so much. And as always, don't forget to share. God bless you. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Beauty for Ashes with Tanya Joy. Please subscribe, hit the notification bell, and leave us a comment below. Lastly, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, share with those who came to mind. Be blessed and remember you were created for such a time as this.